Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, Part 1. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for Part 2 in your podcast feed. Welcome very much to the Community IT webinar, our annual Nonprofit Cybersecurity Incident Report. We're really happy to be able to share this up-to-date data with you on the types of incidents we're seeing among the clients that we manage, which can help you be more prepared and able to prevent the most common attacks. Our learning objectives for today are for you to understand the cybersecurity landscape for nonprofits, to understand the community IT approach to cybersecurity, to be familiar with the incident types and data from our 2023 report, which is data from 2022, and to learn basic steps to take to secure your nonprofit. And before we begin, if you're not familiar with Community IT, a little bit about us. We're a 100% employee-owned managed services provider. We provide outsourced IT support, and we work exclusively with nonprofit organizations. Our mission is to help nonprofits accomplish their missions through the effective use of technology. And we are big, big fans of what well-managed IT can do for your nonprofit. We serve nonprofits across the United States, and we've been doing this for over 20 years. We are technology experts, and we are consistently given the MSP 501 recognition for being a top MSP, which is an honor we received again in 2022. I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Carolyn Woodard, and I am the marketing director at Community IT. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, great. Thank you for the introduction and all the background. Uh, I'm really looking forward to today's webinar, uh, as this is uh, our fifth annual Nonprofit Cybersecurity Incident Report. As Carolyn mentioned, my name is Matthew Eshelman, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Community IT. And in my role here, uh, really responsible for two main areas. So one is to oversee our uh, centralized services platform, which we use to support over 200 organizations and nearly 7,000 endpoints. And then also responsible for working with organizations for their technology strategy, um, a lot of cloud transformation uh, and cybersecurity. So uh, really looking forward to the conversation today. Um, I also wanted to make sure to mention that we have a playbook available on our website, Cybersecurity Readiness for Nonprofits. Um, and we also have a free 10-minute cybersecurity self-quiz that you can take to assess your cybersecurity stance and learn where you can improve. So those are some uh, resources that we have already on our site, and we will have the incident report available for download soon. All right, so now we are going to start with a poll. So does your organization have cybersecurity insurance? So you can choose yes, no, planning on getting it, or not really applicable. And Matt, can you see that? I can. Yes. So it looks like of the respondents here today, um, the majority do. So about 60% of respondents say yes, that they have uh, cyber liability insurance with about 30% saying no, and then the remainder saying not applicable. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I think a, a high rate, maybe I would expect it a, a little bit higher. Uh, I think maybe a follow-up question. 
Fun. How much has your cyber liability insurance gone up uh, in the last couple of years? I know as a managed service provider, uh, our rate renewals uh, went up pretty significantly. Um, hopefully that uh, increase looks like it's slowing down over time, but uh, it is a it is a you know a, a challenge for organizations to receive effective coverage in this area. Um, okay, so the next um, poll is. What cybersecurity controls do you have? So if you have insurance, you probably know that you have to go through this full long questionnaire of, of what you're doing. And this is a multiple choice question. So any of these things that you've implemented. So you have multiple multi-factor authentication, MFA. You have security awareness training. You have endpoint detection and response. You have SOC slash SIEM. You have an MSSP, you have penetration testing, you have SSO, single sign-on, you have MDM or none of the above. If you don't know what some of these uh, term, what this terminology is, that's fine. <laughs> um, we just, these are common things that are asked on those uh, cyber liability um, questions. So we just wanted to know if you know that you have these or don't have this. And uh, we have a question in the chat, Matt. What does cyber liability insurance cover? Great. So cyber liability insurance, um, I would say, one, it's it's different than liability insurance. So again, if something gets stolen at your business or something happens to property at your business, there's um, property and liability insurance for that. Cyber liability insurance really covers uh, loss related to cyber crime. So again, if you have ransomware, if your website is hacked, if your files are uh, encrypted and and you have to pay a ransom to get it back, uh, those are all things that cyber liability insurance would cover. Um, and so that would cover paying for things like uh, legal representation, Instant response teams to go in and evaluate what happened and may cover PR. If you need to, um, you know, have uh, interaction with the public about things, it may also cover things like breach notification. If you need to basically tell all of your members that their um, data was stolen and, and may, you know, they may be at a higher risk for identity theft. So those are the kinds of things that cyber liability insurance would cover. And uh, yep. cyber liability insurance. Cyber liability insurance, if you have it, also would step in when you have that incident. So they'll give you who you're supposed to talk to. Um, you know, there's some entities that you're not allowed to interact with if there are some foreign states or terrorist organizations. That is the what you have succumbed to. So um, they're very helpful um, at that stage. If you do have an incident, they're probably the first people that you're going to call to respond to it. Um, okay, so Matt, can you can you see that? Yes, I can. And it's great. I'm really encouraged that um, 77% of respondents have implemented multi-factor authentication or MFA. So that's great. Hopefully by the end of this presentation, uh, people will be encouraged to, to get that number up to 100%. Uh, same thing with security awareness training. Very good adoption there at 72%. Uh, and then the next highest uh, number of uh, folks implementing controls would be endpoint detection and response. And I would say this is really an evolution of traditional antivirus solutions. So again, there's a lot of great sophisticated tools out there that can protect the endpoint. Um, you know, after that, we have penetration testing or pen testing. So uh, we see that as a common security um, control or, or feature that people will uh, follow. And that's, again, people trying to uh, hack your network uh, to highlight those vulnerabilities that 
organizations may need to patch. And then we have folks, about 20% of people implementing single sign-on, um, which is a way to access multiple cloud resources with one set of credentials. Again, uh, giving a, a better managed way to access information. And then you know, less than 10% of folks have implemented MDM or mobile device management solutions or are using an MSSP, so a managed security service provider um, that kind of is just focused on security tools and doesn't look like anybody has implemented a SOC or a SIM. Those are more sophisticated uh, management platforms that allow uh, typically a vendor to you know, take log information from your endpoints, from Office 365, from Salesforce, from Box, bring it all into one platform, correlate all that data, uh, and then be able to identify if there's, um, you know, threats that are kind of moving through the system. So, uh, again, uh, great to see that information. And thank you so much for sharing that. I just want to reassure everyone, if you don't know what all those acronyms are, um, it's probably like some of the things that Matt were talking about are for really um, large organizations, very sophisticated organizations. So um, don't mm -hmm. freak out yet. Yeah. Um, so just wanted to start off with a little bit of uh, an infographic here, actually from Microsoft. This is from Microsoft's 2022 Digital Defense Report. Um, and in here, I think this highlights how think tanks and NGOs are relatively highly targeted by uh, really sophisticated hackers, what would be called nation state hackers. And so uh, I think this is an important realization for um, nonprofit organizations to understand is, you know, just because you do really good work or just because you have a great mission or just because you don't have that much money or that many resources doesn't mean you're going to be immune from cybersecurity attacks uh, or from cyber attacks. And so this is something uh, where, you know, the data, you know, from vendors like Microsoft really shows how much organizations are targeted, particularly in that think tank and NGO space. Um, this is something that we really see borne out um, in our interactions with the FBI. Um, you know, nation state actors are not particularly interested in your organization's uh, research and white papers, again, which are ultimately going to be published. Um, these nation state actors are really uh, interested in research and information about the staff that you have um, that could be used potentially later on as part of uh, an influence operation. Again, uh, this was a helpful realization for me to come to, uh, to understand why threat actors are targeting these nonprofit organizations in government adjacent positions, um, because they know that, you know, if you're a researcher at a think tank or a nonprofit, uh, you know, in a couple of years, maybe when the administration changes, you're now going to be uh, in the government. And so they're interested in getting information about you as an individual uh, that could be then used later on um, as part of a, uh, you know, a leverage or an influence peddling. So uh, Carolyn, I think we'll can share out that link. It's really um, interesting reading. Uh, and I think, again, just continues to build our understanding in terms of, you know, what organizations are targeted and the method of, of that targeting and how it's happening. That link is available in the transcript on our website. If you want to find it yourself, it's at www.microsoft.com slash en us slash security slash business slash Microsoft dash digital dash defense dash report dash 2022. Um, with this landscape in mind of these kinds of threats against 
um, our sector. Um, what did you see broadly in 2022 that impacted the state, like the landscape and the way people mm-hmm. are responding? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, we've been, you know, community IT has been working with nonprofits in their IT support for over 20 years. Uh, this is the fifth year that I've written this report. Um, that looks specifically at the cyber uh, security data that's coming in from from those 200 clients. Uh, And so I think we've developed some good metrics and and view on the types of attacks that are targeting the nonprofit sector. I think there is a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt out there um, that kind of makes us all anxious. And so I think it is important to understand kind of what's actually happening with small to mid-sized nonprofit organizations so that we can design and respond to these threats appropriately in a way that makes sense, that's cost-effective, and that's, um, you know, addressing the highest risk. So, um, you know, I will say a lot of the stuff is automated. And I think, you know, again, with the evolution uh, of AI uh, and how that's being brought into the tech space, right? That's only going to accelerate these kind of automated attacks. It's going to make it easier and cheaper for hackers to design tools to target us. Um, And the same thing on the security side, right? We see a lot of those automated attacks you know, viruses, malware, all of that stuff is is blocked, right? It's a there's a tremendous amount of stuff that doesn't get to you um, because a lot of these anti-spam tools, antivirus tools are doing a pretty good job uh, of preventing stuff from making its way to your computer. Um, I would say one of the things that we noted uh, in our data from last year is that uh, we saw a a, a number of incidences where uh, it wasn't just the the personal account, or it wasn't just the organizational account that was targeted, um, but it was a user's personal account, uh, and then that personal account was used to you know kind of gain backdoor access into other systems. So again, a personal Gmail account was maybe used um, as the password reset email for an organization's LinkedIn account, um, or uh, somebody's Facebook account you know was used for the for their organization. But that got hacked through their personal account. And so we're seeing really a, a blurring of boundaries between you know, work resources, personal resources. Uh, and so the same controls that you want to put on your work accounts really needs to extend to those personal accounts as well. Um, and then I would say you know, those uh, account compromise, the email spoofing, the phishing, I mean, it's just continues kind of unabated. Uh, I think we've seen some kind of flattening out uh, of the number of attacks reported. And I think, you know, we'll look at that data a little bit later on, but I think, you know, we continue to improve the tools that we use, which I think helps reduce that. Um, but unfortunately it's, you know, it, it's not dropping significantly and it's still occurring at a relatively high rate. Um, I think other things in the sector that are driving a lot of the, you know, kind of discussion around cyber, uh, cybersecurity is cyber liability insurance. And so, again, that was, you know, part of our question is how many people have it, uh, you know, over that five years at the beginning of our incident report, you know, it was very easy to get cyber liability insurance, you know, one page application, you didn't even have to say that you had enrolled in anything and you could get uh, very affordable coverage that would you know be pretty comprehensive. You know, nowadays we're seeing policy renewals go up by 50%, 75%, policy organizations not being able to get coverage, and then also needing to actually implement all of those different security controls, multi-factor on everything, multi-factor on your servers in your office, you know, incident response plans, backup plans, disconnected 
you know, and encrypted backups. And so uh, the the market has really just tightened up because of uh, how common um, cyber attacks have become and how expensive it is to, to respond to them. Uh, and so the, the cyber liability insurance providers themselves are really tightening up the underwriting requirements. The remote and hybrid work requires updates to policies and trainings. Again, I think uh, you know, we're now firmly in a hybrid uh, work world for most of the organizations that that we're working with. Uh, you know, we see a lot of organizations that, you know, are 100% remote now. Uh, I would say the, the majority of our clients are probably in that hybrid environment, two or three days in the office working remotely. Uh, and I think the policy side of things hasn't really caught up to that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, organizations are still kind of grappling with how to how to manage that from a policy standpoint. Um, and then the other thing I would highlight at the very end there is, you know, we noticed in our data that there was a really big spike in the incidence of um, wire fraud incidents. And that to me just highlights that, uh, again, fundamentally, this is cyber crime. Uh, and for most organizations, you know, if you're not in the think tank space, you know, your highest risk is really going to be, uh, you know, targeted towards wire fraud, gift card fraud, uh, you know, updating payroll information for employees. And that can be really significant. And, uh, you know, the response to that is not just a an IT cybersecurity uh, response, but it involves other aspects of your organization in terms of your finance controls, interacting with your bank, the vendors that you use. Uh, and so that does require a coordinated effort across many um, different departments at the organization. Um, but it's something that's really critical because of the, the actual financial loss that that can represent. Um, and it's I would say it's not uncommon to see six-figure losses in this area uh, if your organization um, you know, falls victim to a wire fraud campaign. Yeah, we've definitely in the news, you've seen some uh, you know, nonprofits that just wired the payment to the wrong, the wrong bank and then it's gone. Um, so we wanted to go over this um, uh, is kind of our chart of our approach to cybersecurity. I want to remind everyone that the this is based, this is in the playbook, which is available on our website. You can download that for yourself. But um for today, I'll just run through the layers here. We start with your security policies and your documentation as that lowest layer, um, such as your acceptable use policy, um, which should be part of your employee handbook and should be regularly updated. So Matt was just mentioning the our hybrid work environments. If you have not updated your acceptable use policy after going hybrid or going remote, that is definitely something that you need to look at as soon as you can. Um, there's a layer on top of that of security awareness and staff training. So we often say that your staff are your eyes and ears, like they're the ones who are going to see if there's something unusual happening or something's just not the way it's supposed to be, or they're the ones that are going to be asked to make the, the bank deposit to the wrong numbers. So they definitely need to have uh, up-to-date training. There's the blue layer of things that your IT department, your outsourced IT should be taken care of. These are all ways to lower your vulnerability using common tools and automation, as Matt was saying earlier. And then that top layer is needed if you're working in specific advocacy space that may make you more of a target. If you're a larger organization, you may want to invest in testing your systems. And those tools are quite expensive and they can be overkill for the types of hacking attempts that most of you on this webinar will be facing. So um, hopefully that's a little bit of a reassurance, but um, that's how our, our approach to cybersecurity goes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's great. I think it is, again, it's important really to start with that foundational piece of policy and people. You know, there's lots of technology things that can be done, um, but if you don't have those foundational elements in place, I think it's really hard to build an effective um, cybersecurity program. Um, so speaking of some of the, you know, those kind of foundational pieces, um, did just want to talk a little bit about uh, foundational practices that every organization should have in place. IT policy. Um, I saw there are some questions around uh, if we have any templates, and I would say yes, we do. Uh, so I can, uh, if you drop that note in, I can follow up and provide our IT acceptable use policy template that does include a section around BYOD. Um, so that's bring your own device, or kind of what's the practice around having um, staff use personal devices to access work resources. Um, so. You know, that's an organizational decision that needs to be made. Um, again, security awareness training. I was really glad to see that high response rate. I think that's the best money that you can spend in terms of securing your organization is if you can train and educate your staff so that they know how to identify um, those malicious emails, which is like, honestly, the vast majority of threats that organizations are going to see is those malicious messages that are going to trick you into clicking a link, sharing your password, you know, maybe giving away your MFA information. Um, and so educating staff uh, is just absolutely um, critical and, and provides a lot of value. Then there's some boring stuff, right? Operating system and third-party um, patching. You know, This has been a foundational recommendation for a long, long time. Uh, and having a regular routine um, update to be able to, to, to deploy those changes and ensure that they're actually happening is, is um, a, an important element of an effective program along with good antivirus or endpoint detection response tools, uh, web filtering, uh, and MFA. So these are all things that Community IT provides as part of our um, device management. So for all those 7,000 uh, devices, we are making sure that all these things are happening uh, because I think security is really a game of fundamentals. And, uh, you know, these attackers are really going to exploit the you know the weakest link and so again if you system if your operating system isn't up to date or you aren't updating your iphone uh you know you're at risk to being um you know exploited by those different uh you know threat actors that are using you know malware to to get onto devices so again make sure that for your organization you can say yes we're doing all of these things um and then once that's in place you know then you can move on to some of the you know the higher level security controls Great. Well, Carolyn, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, that shift for um, for organizations? Yes. So, I mean, you had mentioned earlier that um, the pandemic and the shift to remote and flexible work environments has impacted so much of our nonprofit work life, and of course, also our our personal lives. So, can you tell us what you're seeing in cybersecurity with relationship to that downsizing an office, getting rid of an office, working flexibly, working remotely? Yes. So, you know, that top line here, you know, increasing um, spear phishing, targeting personal accounts, your home network, you know, that that work boundary is now basically wherever you are. And so, you know, we've seen personal accounts be targeted and then used to exploit work resources. You know, there's some pretty uh, famous recent accounts, you know, with LastPass, you know, that whole breach occurred because a senior developer's home uh, network or home device was compromised. Um, you know, we're probably not all dealing with that sensitive of information, but I think it is a good object lesson, uh, you know, that just shows how connected our technology lives are. So, um, you know, 
that the hacker, you know, knows your work email address, they know your home, your personal email address as well. And so uh, they will go after both, not, you know, there's no respect for our work, uh, work and home boundary. Um, I will also say here that finance teams seem uh, really uh, both targeted and susceptible um, to fraud working remotely. I think some of that interpersonal uh, connection we uh, we lose. I think a lot of that uh, increased automation, uh, you know, is also I think exploited by hackers. Right? Update those wire payment. I'm having a problem with my bank. You know, these are all stories that we've experienced ourselves, and and the hackers are using that uh, in order to extract financial uh, gain from from us. Um, I talked about it a little bit before, but again, I think the you know this kind of explosion of AI uh, that's that's come across all of our inboxes, you know, really accelerates innovation for all. So it's not just going to help us write better emails um, or fundraising appeals, but it's also going to help the hackers write a more convincing email to get you to click on a link that looks like it comes from a partner organization. Um, it's going to help them, uh, you know, improve the scripting that they're using to to build some of the tools. So again. Um, you know, it's probably also going to help inform the security systems that are available. So again, I think it's just this increasing uh, sophistication that we're gonna we're gonna see, uh, you know, in the security threats as well. Uh, as I said, uh, we have really good tools in place uh, and available. So again, the tools themselves are great. I have a lot of confidence in endpoint protection, and there's a lot of great stuff out there. But it still needs to be set up, it needs to be configured, and it needs to be managed. So again, these, there's not a lot of systems where you can kind of just set it and forget it. Uh, you know, these technology platforms are really sophisticated and require, uh, you know, staff that are know how to use it, know how to follow up. Uh, and it's, you know, it's often a challenge for smaller organizations to kind of maintain all of that skill set in-house um, to use the tools effectively. Um Yep. And then I think, you know, Carolyn mentioned, you know, uh, this policy foundation, it's, you know, it's a continuing um, struggle and battle to keep those policy documents up to date. Um, but it really is important to being able to effectively manage and support your organization as, uh, you know, the work style changes, work locations change, um, and the technology to support all of that uh, continues to evolve. So I think the technology is there, uh, but it's our policy and operations that really need to catch up. We'll also in the transcript have all of these tools and links um, included in that as well. All right. So I think next we're going to a, another poll, um, which is after hearing these um, Matt's, you know, kind of brief and overview in the first half of this webinar, how well do you feel your organization is prepared? So you can choose where as on top of cybersecurity as an organization can be. You can choose, we're doing a pretty good job and we know it's important. So those are both, you know, pretty big hurdles. Um, the third choice is we know it's important, but we don't know if we're doing enough. And the fourth choice, and, you know, if this is you, you know, we see you, it's overwhelming. We haven't done much, but close our eyes and hope. And then the fifth choice is it's not really applicable. We had a quick question, um, Matt, in the Q&A about tools for training. And I don't know if you were going to talk a little bit later about um, know before if you wanted to just you wanted to talk a little bit about it while the answers are coming in, because that is a great way that you can be prepared at your organization. 
Yeah. So I think, so security awareness training, um, I think in general is, is really important. I think we did a webinar on this to kind of talk about some different tools uh, a while ago. Um, so there's three things that you can do, kind of take it on your own. You know, we use a tool called Know Before uh, to manage security awareness training. And, uh, you know, I really like that because we can do both test phishing to see kind of how folks are doing, uh, who's clicking on what, uh, and do some scoring there. And it also gives you a really good library of online training resources that range anywhere from like a three minute, you know, interactive game to, you know, 15 minute, you know, short training to, you know, little mini series that uh, talk about different cybersecurity topics. Uh, and so all of that is kind of wrapped up in their learning management system that gives um, staff online access to, uh, you know, to, to those different training resources. So you can track progress and just ensure that it's happening. And, and we really see progress uh, over time after organizations have made the decision to, to implement that tool. So it looks like we have a little uh, bit of a bell curve here. So the m most folks, almost 50%, feel like they're they're doing a good job, feel it's important, uh, followed by 30% uh, say, you know, we know it's important, but we don't know if we're doing enough. Uh, and then kind of on the ends there, we've got 14% of folks saying it's overwhelming and we haven't done much but close our eyes and hope, uh, followed by 7% uh, of folks saying, hey, we're we're doing all that we can, um, and we we feel pretty confident in our abilities. So, um, so I think you know, no matter where you are, I think you know the cybersecurity world. It's like there's always something new to do, and there's always a an, another change um, to make. There's always some some new res, you know threat to respond to. So, uh, it is certainly a living and, and breathing process. But you're in this webinar, so you're already taking steps. So you should feel good yes. about that. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, part one. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for part two in your podcast feed. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.